Today's program has been brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Cane5.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good evening, planet Earth, and welcome to Foment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your hosts every Monday night at 7 p.m. live on HeritageRadioNetwork.org, also archived there and on iTunes. We're broadcasting out of the studio in the back of Roberta's Pizza in the lovely Bushwick, Brooklyn. And we, if you don't find us your archive, we already said that part, mm-hmm. but uh, we are a podcast of all things fermentable. And speaking of all things fermentable, we went to an incredible event this weekend called Ferment Ferment, put on by... Zach Schulman. Zach Schulman. Yeah, so huge shout out to him and everybody that participated. Basically, it was a, a free event um, at the Brooklyn Free School in Fort Greene neighborhood of Brooklyn. And um, everybody came. They brought all kinds of stuff. We brought beer and then we brought some um, kombucha scobies to swap with people. Um, but people brought everything from... Wow, like water kefir and and milk kefir and um, different yogurts. Uh, yeah, tapache, fr- sweet potato fly, cashew cheese, bread, yeah. beer. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. Tons of kimchi and sauerkraut and uh, beet kvass. Three different kinds of kvass. Um, so we met a lot of people. We tasted a lot of great stuff. We went to some good workshops. Um, Angela Davis gave a workshop on milk kefir. She's going to be on the show on May twentieth. We're excited about that. Yep, and then. If, Evgenia Kim gave a workshop on kimchi, and we've also invited her on a future show as well. Um, so it was very inspirational. In fact, last night we went home and made our own, our first batch of rejuvelac. Rejuvelac? Which, <laughs> what is rejuvelac, Mary? So it's basically a, um, it's kind of a starter. You're, you're making a fermented water-based beverage from grain. We used quinoa because that's what we had around. Yeah. Um, and we're going to use that to actually start our first batch of cashew cheese as well. Um, but you can drink the rejuvelac. Absolutely. And that's what we're going to do with it. Yes. We made enough so that we can drink some and then um, make cashew cheese with the rest or or use it as a starter for the cashew cheese. So that's all stuff that we're going to talk o- about on future episodes. And then, um, oh yeah, we also, I brought home some water kefir grains and we're, we just started a batch of that last night as well. So we'll talk about that. We're going to have, there's a guy named Josh that we met yesterday that did a, a bunch of wonderful water kefirs and we're hopefully going to have him on as well. So anyway, we're going to have lots of exciting other fermentations besides beer um, in future shows. But I like beer. You know what I really like? <laughs> IPAs. You know what I really like about beer? Hops. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about, uh, uh, we're going to get into it on utilizing hops and, and some of our favorite IPAs. And we have one of our, our one of my favorite people that I've met through the homebrew scene uh, we have with us today, Fritz Ferner. How are you doing, Fritz? I'm good. Thank you, Chris. It's uh, really you, nice to say. You're man, what, what, you have a you have a blog as well. What is your, what is your uh, website for people to find more about you? Uh, Fritzbrew.com. It uh, covers recipes, uh, homebrew tips, beer joints, beer people, uh, just anything that's uh, crafty and beery and uh, that's dear to my heart. Yep. 
Fritz has won a ton of homebrewing awards. He's very well known for your pale ales and your IPAs. But I know that every time that I show up in a meeting, specifically usually the New York City Homebrewers Guild, and Fritz has a beer, it's something that I want to taste because everything that I've ever had from you is absolutely wonderful. Oh, you're too kind. Thank so, you. True. And Fritz also teaches classes, which we'll talk about a bit later. But first, uh, as we talked about last week, we came back from the Craft Brewers Conference and we did a bunch of uh, interviews uh, while there. And uh, people, who, one of our favorite commercial brewers who, who utilize hops really, really well is Firestone Walker. So we have a, an interview with, uh, with Matt Bernelson of Firestone Walker, and we would like to play that for you now. Yep. Here we go. <laughs> okay. So Chris and I are here at the C- Craft Brewers Conference 2013. We're at a place called Black Squirrel, and we're talking with Matt Brindelson and Jesse Ferguson of Carton Brewing. So hi, Matt. Hey, you, you pronounced my name right. That's awesome. I'm happy to do that. (laughs) (laughs) After this many beers, too. Yes. So please talk about how, I mean, you guys brew beers in a very unique fashion. You're doing a burgle system, correct? Yeah, so I know you you spoke to Jim a little bit already, but we have three, uh, what we we refer to as three different oak programs in our brewery. And since the inception of the company in 1996, we started fermenting ales in oak barrels. And we're doing it in, in the style of the Burton Union. Um, so primary fermentation. Primary fermentation, exactly. And our twist on the Union system is using new American oak so that we impart this really interesting kind of fifth element to the beer, this nice oak character. And that's something that the company has done since day one. So it's very natural for us, and it's at the core of our brewing program. And so infusing oak into beer is something that we're very natural. It very, comes very naturally to us. Um, and then after our 10th anniversary, we started doing some oak aging. So we, we spent most of our life as a brewery trying to explain to everybody, we don't age, we ferment. And, and, and making that a big point because, you know, it was more commonplace to age beers. Then we started aging beers, and that took off for us. And honestly, after 10 years of brewing... Our brewery had a little different philosophy than the average craft brewery. We really were all about session pale ales. We were focused on English pale ale, American pale ale. We hadn't even brewed an IPA yet. And, you know, even though somehow, some way, our brewery was still known for hops, we were brewing very simple, somewhat pedestrian beers. Um, we felt we were doing that very well, and we were getting a great following locally, but nationally, you know, and we weren't a darling of the beer geek world by any stretch of the imagination. Nor were we typically, you know, really trying to. We were really servicing the Central Coast, making very drinkable beers for um, maybe not so developed craft beer market, you know, our home turf, um, and really focusing on that. And then after 10 years, we decided to make some crazy beers, and we started doing some oak aging. And I think those beers, the 10th anniversary beer and later Parabola, um, uh, Succuba, what was originally known as Abacus, some of those beers, were the beers that kind of opened up doors for us to the beer geek world, which again, I think we were, you know, we were a little bit like, wow, uh, we had no idea that you know, people would be that interested in that, that something so simple as oak aging, because for us, all the technical uh, know-how goes into fermenting a beer in oak. That's much more difficult uh, from a sanitation, from just a, a, a sustainable fermentation program in oak is very difficult. Aging in oak to us was like, oh, well, we just rack the beer in oak and let it hang out for a little while, and people get really, really excited about it. And so we've developed that program, uh, again, now for almost seven or eight years. And then you spoke to Jim about barrels, barrel yeah. works. 
And I say, and, and maybe he mentioned it, that that's really Firestone coming completely 365 degrees around because when we very first started fermenting beers in oak barrels, many of those first experiments turned into sour beers, and we had no idea we were so ahead of our time. We, I always say that those first experiments were like mediocre salad dressing, malt vinegar at best, <laughs> and here you go, you know, 17 years later now we're doing it all over again. This time using wine barrels, trying to incorporate some natural microflora from our region, from the central coast, you know, further linking ourselves to the fermentation scientists in our neck of the woods, the winemakers, and trying to make something unique. And again, we're, we're a little bit latecomers to the game. I mean, there are people that have been making sour beer for, you know, the last decade plus. So we are by no means claiming to be an expert in this, but although, you know, Jim may have, may not have told you that his... Uh, undergrad dissertation at Cal Poly was doing sourdough uh, bread starters. So he actually was studying lactobacillus before he became a brewer, and so he's also quite natural at these sour fermentations. He understands the critters. He spent his whole career defending the brewery from these things, and now he can kind of let his hair down uh, metaphorically and, and start making some sour beers on purpose, and that's kind of cool. So I want to ask you about the Wookie Jack. So I had the Wookie Jack and in- in Brooklyn a couple weeks ago, and you used some deep bittered malts, right? Yeah. Talk about this. I mean, you use two different types of deep bitter malt for this, right? We actually use uh, two or three. Um, there's three different malts that we've incorporated in that. Well, <laughs> it's all good. So there are there are a few different things that uh, we thought about when we were making Wookie Jack. One is that black IPA was already kind of being done. I didn't necessarily um, believe in the style more than it being somewhat of a a trend for me at the time. I hadn't really gotten into it. So in studying that beer, I thought, you know, I I refused to make a straight-ahead black IPA, which everybody was using Carafa, everybody was using, you know, heavy-handed hops. I got it. I mean, I like like the beers themselves, but as a style, I kind of was like, you know, we're kind of making shit up now. But when I started researching it a little bit more, I realized that spicy rye plays well in dark beers and it also plays really well with hops. I mean some of my favorite hoppy rye beers are like Hop Rod Rye from uh, Bear Republic, very inspirational beer. Um, it came after Wookie Jack, but I think that Ruthless Rye is a wonderful beer, and it shows that rye as a spicy grain plays well with hops. And so for this black IPA, it just seemed really natural to throw rye in there. And then I didn't want to just use Carafa. So we found Midnight Wheat, which is a roasted wheat product, which is actually even a little bit softer and brings some interesting textures to the beer. We also use a, a grain from Patagonia malting in Chile, which is also very much like Carafa in that it's a pearl barley that that's roasted to you know nearly a black color. So those three malts actually play a part in bringing that dark color without bringing too much astringency. But we think that the midnight wheat brings a little extra twist along with the rise. So. It's hard to be original in this business. Ah, it's it's yeah. smooth. Though, yeah. I mean, like yeah. a lot of what you get is uh, hot bitterness and roast from a lot of other people's stuff, and they don't they don't they clash pretty dramatically. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I think what works really well in that beer is that also at that time we were playing experimentally around with citra hops and we were using some Amarillo but very judiciously in our Union Jack IPA. And so I just happened to have extra of those hops and when we did our first formulation, throwing those two hops together created some flavors that we never expected to happen and we stuck with it. Hey man, how you doing? Good to see you. I just finished my Saison. Well done, well done. Thanks.
So, you know, it's funny how these beers happen. And we never did a pilot brew. We Our really? very first brew was a 50-barrel batch, 100-barrel batch wow. on the big system. You know, Do you have start, a pilot system? It's, it's our big system. You know, we just we just go for it. And we were so happy with the first brews. And, of course, you know, you do a little bit of, you know, tweaking after the fact. But uh, that's pretty much original. So what recipe. are you drinking now? I'm drinking uh, Pivo Pilsner. And tell us about that. That's the latest beer that we've formulated and put into the market as a draft beer. Um, JB may not agree with me, but uh, I've always been a huge Pilsner fan and feel like that there's a real place and a home for Pilsners in the craft beer scene here in the United States. He's, he's, itching to, he's, itching to say, he's itching to say something else. I, uh, I'm an ale guy. I'm not, not much on lager, but you know, but this this beer really is nice. It's nice and bright and kind of Bohemian. And, and we, we spent a fair amount of time in, in Europe and in Germany, you know, in, in sourcing equipment and, and researching breweries. And so you can't help but fall in love with, you know, German brewing technology and Pilsner brewing. Now, you know, Pilsner brewing in, in Germany is becoming very monochromatic, much like light lager here in the United States. But the very premise of this very light-bodied beer that showcases hops isn't that different from an IPA. It's just a different type of beer. And I look at our portfolio of beers, and every time we create a new beer, Wookie Jack's an example, Pilsner's an example, we're trying to fit in beers that fit with the portfolio and not do too much overlapping, you know. There are breweries that just, you know, they play IPA all day long, every day. We're trying to play all these different beer styles, and I think Pilsner fits into the to craft tap handles, fits into our portfolio, and I love it, so I don't care. I, I, I like it, and I'm, I'm drinking it. And this beer... We chose, again, we always have a twist. The twist on this beer is that it's very traditional uh, German lager that uses <laughs> Weyermann Pilsner malt. It uses 3470 Steffen lager yeast. It uses, um, uh, but, but then the hopping is where it starts to take a little twist. It uses uh, Hollertau Magnum for bittering. It uses Spalter Select for the flavor hops. And then our little... Our little zinger is Saphir uh, uh, hops from Germany that we dry hop. We dry hop the beer with Saphir. So, you know, out here in these, this part of the world, uh, Victory Brewing Company makes some outstanding lager beers. They make some outstanding hoppy lager beers. I've been drinking them at the conference. And we're actually dry hopping. They do a lot of late hopping with their hop back. But, you know, I must say, if I have to say, you know, Victory is one of the inspirations for this beer. Are you cold dry hopping? Uh, well, with the lager, I suppose you consider it cold, but no, it's at fermentation temperature. Okay. So it's, you know, say about seven or eight days into the fermentation, just at the very, very end as things are just starting to finish up, that's when we hit it with the hops. Are you doing multiple dry hops on it? Like you do Not on the, Pilsner beer, yeah. but on Union Jack, there's yeah, two, yeah, yeah, Double yeah. Jack, there's yeah. three. But you're a big advocate of short exposure time, Short right? exposure time. Right. So what, what is short exposure time? Mm. Well, again, I mean, ask 10 brewers, you're going to get 10 different uh, ideas on how to dry hop a beer. So the Firestone method is using the hops at fermentation temperature. So right after right after primary fermentation is done, hopefully there's still some yeast activity to mop up any DO, allow the enzymes there to work on the hop oils. And we're throwing hops in right at the end of fermentation, allowing to sit for about three days, and then we discard the hops. So with Union Jack, we'll dry hop on, say, day four or five, allow those hops to be there for three three or so days, dry hop it again, let them stay for three days, and then right before we crash cool, dry hop it again, just for good measure. <laughs> just to be sure. Just to be very sure. Yeah. 
I started to uh, after taking in the class. You have to talk about. Um, I actually had a beer shower not oh, too yeah. long ago from uh, you know dry hopping our, our IPA. <laughs> so now I, the last, next time I went up, I did like one handful and then put sealed it back up and let it do and then let it for like an hour and I and you know was able to feel. A lot of degassing, you know, from yeah, and, that. And, and, then. and for the brewers out there, I think that what you're saying is that's the perfect time to dry hop. If you throw the hops in, the beer's a little angry and spits at you. That, that release of CO2 is removing dissolved oxygen, and it's, it's and you have yeast activity to protect the beer. That's a perfect time to dry hop. That's why we do it. And the short contact time is just a, you know, a philosophy of ours that we don't want vegetative characteristics. We want more oil characteristics. Uh, Vinny gave a talk today, though, where he's like, you know, we make some beers where we sit for seven days, some beers yeah, we sit for 14 days, and, you know, no one's going to say that those beers aren't wonderful expressions of hops well, as well, so it's just a different way to skin the... I thought that Vinny's speech today, but I took away from that was, you know, if you're making beer and you like it, don't change the way you're making it. It's because whatever you change in your process, you may think you're trying to make it better or whatever, but you're yep. really just going to change the flavor profile completely. You know, yep. If you've got something you like, stick with it. And, and you got to live with the good and the bad of that. And know? the other, yeah, and, and actually you bring up the really good point that if you're trying to create new beers and new flavors, you don't have to find the next best hop. You don't have to find the next best malt. Just change process a little bit, and you're creating a new beer and making something really interesting. So. Okay, so Matt, going into spring... What what is what is a beer you prefer? What is your favorite beer to drink for spring? Ah, spring. It, that's going to change. I mean, right now I'm, I'm, I'm digging, I'm digging this Pilsner <laughs> because Hoppy Pilsner is you know light and bright enough to, for spring, but it's still got some you know it's it's got some hop character that's fun. Um, this Funkwork Saison just blows my mind every time I have it. I think that's a great spring beer. Which one, I mean, the Tropic King or the, uh, or the, the smaller the, one? Just the, fun- the, the, the straight ahead, yeah, Funkwork Saison. I just love it. It's like one of my favorite beers. I tell him every time he sees, I see him, and I think he thinks I'm just blowing sunshine up his ass, but I love that beer. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Bavarian Hefeweizen fan, and I know that's a summer beer anyway, but as soon as weather breaks, I'm drinking a lot of Bavarian Hefeweizen, and I love, I love Bavarian Hefeweizen. In the proper glass, sitting in a beer garden. Oh my god! So. All right, so thank you to Matt yeah. and Jesse and Kuzma. Yeah, yeah. Cheers, right on. Thank awesome. you, man. Yeah. Originally, we were gonna we were gonna edit that, but Matt just dropped so much well-spoken <laughs> knowledge. Thank you, Matt Brindelson of Firestone yep. Walker, and Jesse really, Ferguson and Jesse for contributing for some questions. Um, we're gonna take a quick short on Ferment about it, and we'll be back to talk a little bit about all that stuff and Fritz's approach to dry hopping, hopping. First word hopping. Hops, that's on black pale IPAs. That's, that's a tough <laughs> to follow. <laughs> I feel like a dog after, after the needles. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery. In our industrial world, most wines have become brands. But the wines I love are so much more. Fine wine is a civilizing substance that connects us to nature. It cannot be stamped out in a factory. If you're listening to this great show, you probably eat different. I urge you to drink different too. Go deeper. Cane5.com
you know heritageradionetwork.org is a member-supported nonprofit organization? If you like what you're listening to, go to our website and click that donate button. Become a member and get special discounts, invites, VIP treatment, t-shirts, and more. Support us in our mission to bring you the freshest food content in the nation. And we're back on for Men About It, <laughs> HeritageRadioNetwork.org, with our great friend and good guest, Fritz Fernow, home brewer extraordinaire. Um, going back to what we just listened to this, this interview, um, yeah, Matt talked about rye and how it dances so well with hops, and one of, uh, one of my favorite beers of yours is the Horny Rhinoceros. That's an interesting beer, uh, for sure, and it's one of my favorites. Um, ironically, I've, I've probably made about uh, 60 IPAs, and I always mess around with the hops because I just can't figure them out. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, you put, like, magnum hops for bittering, and then you, uh, you know, use citra and amarillo for flavor and aroma, and then, you know, you mix up the, uh, uh, you make the same beer again, but you change the bittering hops, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like, the citra and the amarillo taste different. It's just, it's insane. It's like... I've, I want to quit, but you always have to make one more IPA. It's, <laughs> you know, it's like, but uh, the horny rhinoceros, for the most part, uh, I've got that nailed down, especially the malt bill and mm-hmm. the hop scheduling. I might tinker around a little bit with uh, the dry hopping schedule, and I I try to experiment a little bit with Simcoe. It's um, it's interesting. Uh, I hate Simcoe when I use it, but when other people use it, I love it. It's uh, it's something I I just can't figure out yet. You know, it's um, how you're extracting oils from it and IBUs from it. Sometimes it has that cat pee flavor, which yeah. is good. But sometimes it's overdone. It it tastes like dried grapefruit, which I don't like. So it's uh, right. uh, it's an ongoing struggle. But uh, I'll I'll keep at it. I have a lot of Simcoe coming for me, but I've actually never used it. So um, tell your your horny rhinoceros. Right. What percentage of uh, rye do you like to use? Um, I'll, I can break it down into five gallon recipe. Um, I don't use like Beersmith or anything like that. But um, for ten gallon or excuse me, five gallons, what I'll do is. Uh, about 12 pounds of uh, base malt, like simple two-row. Oh, mm-hmm. actually, I take that back, Maris Otter. And then I'll use three pounds of rye. And what I'll do is I'll have my local homebrew shop crush that because rye is very small and it's very dense. Mm-hmm. And then when I get it home again, I'll crush it again. And then um, as a tip that I got from the good people at Six Point, I use three different types of rye. I think they use maybe oh. four, but I use three. Um, so I'll use three pounds of... Uh, standard um you know base rye uh, i use a half a pound of crystal rye which has a lovey blonde maybe about 60 to 80 mm-hmm. and then i'll just so i can say i use three i'll use uh one ounce of chocolate rye which oh, is yeah. about uh 300 400 rye. or so and um and then i'll use maybe a half a pound of uh crystal 10 just to round it out a little bit yeah. now do you use rice holes when you absolutely um yeah i've never had a stuck mash before um i use the uh the denny con hosebrood braid method and mm-hmm. uh, i've been pretty lucky so uh no stuck mashes just knock on wood so i like it how many times do you dry hop what and what are your what is your dry hopping method you said so we talked or matt was talking about how you know you want to drop he generally does it while it's still fermenting or at the tail end of the fermentation yeah i, I agree because you? um what i like to do is um First of all, I always tell people be fearless. Um, you know, like you might get like a recipe kit from Northern Brewer or more beer or something like that, where it'll say, you know, use an ounce here and another ounce here. But uh, uh, for the most part, at that stage of the game, you can pretty much go crazy and as much as you can handle. Um, I, for IPAs, I actually like to uh, do my initial fermentation in a bucket. So if I want to use three ounces of hops i like to use hop bags with a few marbles in to weigh them down and you so, generally do pellets or or um usually pellets okay 
For and, your dry hopping. Yeah. And then what I'll do is uh, usually about after day four or five when the fermentation is slowed down to maybe, you know, like a bubble every 15 or 20 seconds in the airlock, um, I'll take about three ounces of hops in a bag, uh, open the bucket, chuck them in mm-hmm. uh, with some marbles just to weigh it down a little bit. And then what I'll do is uh, when I get up in the morning, I'll give it a little shake, you know, just to rock it. You don't want to splash or anything, worry about oxidation. And then when I get home from work, uh, give it just a little rock again, uh, sniff the airlock. Um, yeah. you know, a lot of people like don't admit it, but I'm an airlock sniffer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And, um, you know, I'll usually let that go um, probably about seven days, you know, probably longer than that does. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, what I'll do is I'll transfer it to a secondary just to let it clean up and, uh, you know, I'll give it a sniff and I might add some more, um, like, uh, real flavorful aromatic hops like uh, Citra or Amarillo. Uh, still toying around with that uh, Simcoe. Maybe I'll use, like, a quarter ounce to sandwich it in there. Yeah. Like I always tell people, like, you know, some hops are just, like, over-the-top brutal and their characteristics take over, like, uh, Chinook. I've had right. all Chinook IPAs. <laughs> we were just about that, yeah. And, man, like... I can have a, a pint of that, but do I want to know? And no. Yeah. But I like to use Chinook for bittering, like maybe half an ounce with a little bit of Magnum. And it uh, that's a scenario where less is more and it goes a long way. With your fearlessness, have you ever had any dry hopping go wrong? Like any time when... Oh, so so uh, I don't know if you all caught it. I'm not sure when he right. said it first, but he said, Matt, uh, said D-O, and that's for dissolved oxygen, and uh, which can uh-huh. be bad unless you have something to soak it up. Yeah, I've had uh, a couple issues, um, uh, sort of off topic, but a disaster once uh, I dry hopped and the weights that I used in the hop bag, I thought were stainless steel uh, ball bearings. Uh-huh. They were not. So <laughs> what, what were they? <laughs> uh, they were, it must have been regular steel. So when I took them out, I saw like little dots of rust. Okay. And when I tasted the beer, it tasted it's, like rust. Yeah. And it was just like, it was, you were so close. And, yeah. But so far, because when I tasted it before I dry hopped it, it was delicious. I was like psyched for it. And all yeah. of a sudden it's like, oh, you there know, like face plant. It's like, well, there's five gallons we'll never see. But Hence uh, using marbles now. Ex- I love marbles. I, marbles. I, I, I go to the kids store and they look at me weird and says, what are you doing with these? It's, like, it's for beer. <laughs> and, you know, they sometimes they ask a lot of questions and sometimes they just, you know, send you on your way. And it's like, you know, it's New York. Like, guy's playing with his marbles. What the hell? So, <laughs> So I have a confession for everybody. Like, right. I, I have never, as a home brewer, I've never made an IPA. Okay. I've never made a home, an IPA at the house. The first time I made an IPA was actually once I got the job at 508, I brewed an IPA there. And uh, it was inspired, I think I've said this on the radio also before, it was inspired by just simplicity, like Drew Beecham's right. talk, talking about the power of one, and it, I did just a smash IPA. Right. And then my third IPA there, I finally branched off, and, and I'm starting to use a little bit of Pilsner malt, actually, right. as well. Fantastic. Uh, kind of clean it up and to showcase the hops a little even more. I mean, just partially Marisotter and, and Pilsner. No, no Pilsner malt's a great way to go. It's um, I, I find it a little bit sweeter mm-hmm. and it dries out a little bit more. So, um, you know, as most brewers know, like there's three characteristics of beer. You know, there's yeast and there's malt and obviously hops. And, um, you know, you want a little bit of malt background to yeah. balance it out. For, for the most part, you want to uh, have a, you know, a clear window to let those... Um, hops shine through mm-hmm. you know like you know you buy a nice suit 
but you don't want it to overpower like your face and right. you know, yeah. you know, like, you know, you're the person about that you know we, we want to look at you and not the suit so. right and, and the IPAs say, is about hops right absolutely so. and so that's another thing I never did as a humber I never did any first wort hopping so do you first okay. wort hop I, I do and I've actually also uh, do uh, kettle hops as well kettle hops as well um, what I'll so do is real quick because I mm-hmm. just describe both of those okay. techniques um, well uh, first wort hops you can actually um, what I do is actually, if I'm making a, a big honking IPA and want to extract a lot of flavor, what I'll do is um, I'll put uh, like usually whole hops in the mash, uh, anywhere from you know two to three ounces, and then um, what you can do is on your first runnings, uh, put hops in the kettle, and people will say, well, isn't that the same as a bittering hop? It's not really because what you're doing is uh, when that wort comes out at roughly 150 degrees or so, uh, you're extracting a lot of oils, but without um, you know. The boiling it and getting the bitterness out of it so right. um it's a way to crank out a few ibus without you get more flavor but without the bitterness then do you remove the hops from when you do the when you're the kettle hopping do you right. remove those hops nope i just keep them in you there just like leave them in there absolutely and those go into your ibu calculations uh well they i, I don't i sort of use a calculator but um uh, i i sort of have it dialed into my system so it's like Instead of using, um, you know, if I want to make a, a 1050 beer, um, you know, for the most part, I use 10 pounds of base malt and then whatever, like, specialty grains I want to use after that. Uh, sort of the same things with hops and sec for um, the bittering additions in 60 minutes. Like, but anything after, you know, 10 minutes, you know, it's, it depends on, you know, where I want to go. Right. You know, like, sometimes I use three or four ounces at 10 and maybe a few with it flame out or throw a few more in for shits and giggles at, at five etc you know it's just uh, it's, like i said it's like ipas i've i've never nailed it down right. you know, I'll, I'll, <laughs> but they're always awesome I mean, you're, whatever you do is sometimes great. like i said sometimes i want to give up but you got to make one more yeah. like um you know it's, it's odd because what i'll do is like the week before the brew day i'll obsess about hops you know i'll wake up and say i'm sticking to this hop schedule i'm sticking to this hop schedule and then like brew day i'm sticking to the hop schedule five minutes before like you know the 10 minute edition I'm changing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that. Yeah, but it's it's and it's ironic because some of the best IPAs I've made were the initial recipes I've concocted like two weeks in advance and stuck to. Okay, it's 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 a it's it's an affliction. Going back to first wort hopping, do you right. ever substitute your first wort hops for your sixty minute edition, or you always do both? I've done one actually, and um, I used maybe like a, a quarter ounce of Magnum hops, which is a high alpha mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. bittering, but. Um, yeah, and it's it's nice. And you mean wh- you mean for a first wort or, or? Yeah, what I would do is like I'd use maybe a quarter ounce of Magnum at sixty. But what I would do is uh, I'd have like two or three ounces in you know the mash and the kettle. Okay. And then I would use like three or four ounces um, at ten minutes and at five minutes and it flame out. Okay. And what's nice is uh, you get a big hop flavor without that puckering bitterness yeah right uh the, the scenario with those is uh you sort of got to drink them quick uh, i mean not too bad but they're usually good for about four or five weeks mm-hmm. and then they start to fade a lot so um oh, interesting. but nothing wrong with that yeah yeah but yeah, yeah challenge me to drink fast yeah. please. <laughs> <laughs> oh you where so where are you teaching you are doing these classes, and uh, where is that out of, and where can we find out more about that? Uh, it's a unique website uh, called SideTours.com, and um, I think it just started uh, people that wanted to find, um, you know, give p- people from out of town, like New York experiences, 
you know. Mm-hmm. So if you have any sort of talent, whether it's uh, making samosas or dumplings or frying fish or playing jazz, um, if it's something that you're good at and you have a passion for, um, people can sign up for your classes and kind of like snoop into your house and yeah. come on down. And it's, uh, last Saturday I just did, uh, I think, my ninth class. That's awesome. And, and uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, most people that come to the classes, uh, they don't want to actually brew themselves, but they want to check out the process. Right. And what I'll do is I'll do a, you know, while we're waiting for work to cool down or to boil, what we'll do to pass time is, uh, you know, we'll do a little, um, you know, beer and cheese samplings and, you know, pair of chocolate with stouts and, uh, nice. you know, uh, blue cheese with IPAs and maybe bacon with, uh, like a good Baltic porter, things like that. And Doesn't yeah, suck. It's, Doesn't it's, suck. it's, uh, <laughs> um, so, and that's, that class will last about six hours or so when I did traditional brewing and then I just did my first brew in a bag and that took two hours off the day and take notes take notes and uh, it was cool (laughs) because it's what was nice about that is it it made it more realistic to people who like who might want to do it and maybe do it twice a year without investing in a lot of equipment right it's it's easy there's not a lot of equipment that you have to invest in the the cleanup is ridiculously simple it was I was like what did I forget to do? It was <laughs> yep, like, yep. what's wrong with this? This is, but so, kudos to Mary and ruin it back. <laughs> Mary converted me, man. Uh, yeah, yep. absolutely for for the home. Yeah, Chris yeah. came over and helped me a right. year or two ago. Yeah. do a brew in a bag. So that was that was fun. So I'm no. glad you're utilizing that. Absolutely, and introducing more people to it. All right. Awesome. That we're, we're about out of time. Yeah. I'm about it. So thank you so <laughs> much. Right. Thank you to yeah, Matt dude. Brindleson and Jesse Ferguson absolutely. of Carton Brewing and Fritz for now. <laughs> We hopefully you guys are inspired to brew some killer IPAs out there. That's right, and don't be afraid to use lots of hops. And don't you know? Be fearless. Yeah, and experiment. Be fearless. Be, be experiment. Lots of hops from five minutes on, and dry hop, and go to fritzbrew.com for recipes and shoot me an email. Uh, I, I love drinking other people's IPAs. It's, I usually find they do better job than I do. So oh, no, that's kind of cool. So. It's total perception. <laughs> Who's our guest next week? Ah, Mary? so next week we're going to listen to some interviews um, from. Greg Doss and Jess, I'm totally blanking on his last name, from Y East, talking about the private collection that's out the, now. Codhill. Yes, Jess Codhill. Jess Hawk Codhill. Um, both amazing guys. Very interesting interview. And then we're going to have Danielle and Benjamin from Brooklyn Homebrew Ooh. on. And they carry the Y East private collection. They have a super interesting story. They're great brewers, all around great people, and, and we look forward to talking to them next week. On HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for See listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>